Thank you, Lincoln. Yeah, it's been a tough week in the news, hasn't it? God uh, hears our prayers. Well, uh, this morning, uh, I want a, a special call out to uh, uh, friends who are visiting from our uh, West Bank Kelowna Church. We've got Jeff and Amy who are here. They are the parents of Jesse, who is our middle school worker. And, uh, and Jeff is also a fellow pastor in the EMCC. So he helps pastor uh, the church in Powers Creek. West Bank, and I'm sure they would give their greetings, right, Jeff? Excellent. Thanks for following our lead there. <laughs> Wally said he's leaving church like in the middle of the sermon today because he's heading off to preach somewhere else today. He's pre preaching to the Methodist church. Uh, the Methodists uh, are our friends. We actually have Methodist roots as a church, and I don't know why we're not Methodists anymore, but it's probably some argument way back when. We're not going to get into that. That's not our theme today. It could be, though. Uh, we're in a series on emotionally healthy spirituality, and today's theme is grow into an emotionally mature adult, a theme which my wife thinks I'm not qualified to talk about today. <laughs> so we're going to go right to Scripture. Our lesson is based on the famous parable of the Good Samaritan uh, found in Luke 10, verses 25 to 37, and I'd like to begin reading that. Uh, we're going to look at uh, verses 30 where Jesus has just been asked, who is my neighbor? Would you, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Beginning in Luke 10, verse 30. In reply to this question, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave, it, they gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Would you bow your heads with me just to pray once more? Lord, uh, this morning as we consider what it means to become a grown-up, not just physically, but emotionally, that uh, we would ask, we would say our desire is that you would grow us into who you want us to be. And uh, we don't want to stop our growing or we don't want to be stunted in our growth. And so we ask you to speak into our lives today and bring together uh, just this wholeness and integrity and emotional health to who you've, who you've called us to. We pray these things in faith this morning believing that you are capable of not only changing us, you're capable of raising the dead. So can you not do much more in us today, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, we've been uh, talking in this series uh, based on the book Emotionally Healthy uh, Spirituality about knowing yourself. We first began there, knowing yourself that you may know God. 
We've referenced going back in order to go forward. Uh, we talked about journeying through the wall and, and enlarging our souls. Very relevant this week. Enlarging our souls through grief and loss. And then a couple weeks back, we talked about discovering a daily life with God, developing rhythms uh, like the daily office and like Sabbath in order to help us stay connected to, to Christ. And this morning, we're going to be talking about growing into an emotionally mature adult. And, and it turns out we all have some growing to do. Um, my favorite uncle, I, I think I think of him as my, as my favorite, Reverend John Hamilton, he actually passed away uh, earlier this week, and his funeral was, was just yesterday. I wish I could have been there. In fact, they asked me if I would fly back to do his, his funeral, and I would have loved to have done that, because uh, he was quite the man. He was a mentor and an example. He was a pastor, and inspired me in his example of pastoring. And, uh, but he used to, uh, he loved to laugh, and the last time I saw him back in May of this year, he just laughed and laughed. Anything I said, he seemed to think was funny, which is always a good thing. Turned out later, I found out he didn't know who I was at the time, but whatever. I felt good about myself. But um, my Uncle John, uh, he, he would tell a story pretty consistently. Anytime I'd come back and visit their, their family, he would say, do you remember the time, Derwin, where we were up at the cottage, and they, ha- they owned a cottage on a small little lake, and uh, that this little lake, uh, th- his youngest son, Brian, was three years older than me. We were the close to, closest in age as cousins, and we would hang out and play together. Him being older and bigger than I was, he would pick on me incessantly. He had the gift of teasing. Yeah. He was a bully, and I believe that to this day. Um, but a beloved cousin at the same time. Uh, Brian and I would, would be down by the waterfront, and he would be doing some of his teasing or bullying, and I'm screaming, and it was dusk this particular day, and I'm screaming on the waterfront, and suddenly the, our, our screaming is cut by this voice from across the lake where somebody says, Are you drowning? And we like, stop. And then we said, no. Then shut up. <laughs> my, my uncle just loved to tell that story. And it turned out that my cousin and I had some room, I think, for some emotional growth. It's true. Our, uh, our overarching theme is as, in a series is that as we grow in this kind of connected life with God, a life with God through contemplation, through contemplative spirituality, whatever you want to call it, as we grow connected with God, and as we grow in both emotional health and, and, and depth, these two can together revolutionize our lives, opening us up to the kind of life God wants to have for us. And, and the two go together because there are, are, are all kinds of people around who, who are totally into prayer and, and silence and solitude and, and worship and, and, and even hearing God, but they are in, in, in some ways, emotionally dysfunctional or emotionally stunted. And then there's those who, on the other hand, who, who've done all kinds of, of counseling. Maybe they're actually counselors and, 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 and do social work or, or are involved in, in 12-step programs and have done a lot of emotional work, and yet they don't have this life-giving walk with God. And Jesus calls us to pull these two together, to have this what you might call a connected spirituality, really so that my love for God and my love for people are inseparable. And Jesus is basically bringing out this point in this, this parable that it's very easy and possible to have a disconnected spiritual life where I'm into God, but I'm not very good at loving people. Let me give you an example. Uh, Pastor Pete, we call him Pastor Pete Scazzaro, of, uh, who wrote this book, put it this way. Before I was a Christian, he says, I was a maniac. I didn't know anything about feeling or loving people. I mean, if you asked me about sadness and, and pain, 
I didn't have any categories for things like that. Remember how he talked about the iceberg and that only one-tenth of it is visible? The remaining nine-tenths is below the surface and remains hidden deep inside, generally coming out only during stress. When I came to Christ, I started attending church, and I joined a small group. I began reading the Bible and praying and worshiping, and, and that part of my iceberg was changed. But what didn't change was the whole emotional component of my life. He goes on to say, he says, when we talk about coming to Christ, we want Jesus to change our whole iceberg, we, all, all the components of who we are. He says, when I came to Christ, I began to work on the intellectual. I, I renewed my mind for Christ and began learning about how to pray and how to read the Bible. But he says, what didn't change for me was the emotional component of my discipleship. I didn't touch the social or, or physical component. I found that the way I emotionally connected with others really didn't change very much for me. I, I didn't get into loving and relating in a mature way. I wasn't really tuned in, he says. I love uh, Pete's honesty, and, I, and I, if you're reading his book, I hope, hope you'll, you'll grab hold of it and read through it. He's very, very open about his life. And according to Pete, as we consider emotionally healthy spirituality, growing into an emotionally mature adult is the link between a healthy spirituality and a, an unhealthy spirituality. It's the, the key link, link between a spirituality that is marked by hypocrisy and pretending or a spirituality that's marked by genuineness and and, and by authenticity and and brokenness now this uh, whole process of growing into an emotionally mature adult can be difficult because of two myths that we tend to to carry with us on our journeys first is this when i accept christ and i i become a christian and christ uh, lives inside of me somehow growing into an emotionally mature adult is just natural it just happens I'm a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away, new, new things have come along. I mean, the Apostle Paul talks about that, right? He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And, 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 and folks, we can apply that to our, our whole life. Our, our position with God in Christ is now changed. We have right standing with God. We are completely forgiven. We are absolutely loved. That's the awesome news. But just like the Israelites out of Egypt after 400 years of slavery, while by grace they were now God's people, they, they weren't mature. Uh, you know, they were God's chosen ones, they were loved by him, but there was this whole process of discipleship and growth that they needed to go through. Now, now maturing seems to happen quite naturally in some areas of our lives, uh, like physical growth, for instance. Uh, although my mom used to tell me quite significantly as I was growing up, don't drink coffee. Don't drink tea. Why? It would stunt your, stunt your growth. Did anyone else hear that? Yeah, it was kind of common. Apparently, it's all false. Drink as much coffee as you like. That, that's on Monday. On Tuesday, it'll be coffee's bad for you. Wednesday, coffee's good again, and so on. I, I'm confused at this point in my journey. But, but we tend to, unless there's some significant malnourishment, we will generally physically grow quite naturally. And the same is true intellectually. Uh, why? Well, because most of us are fairly intentional about our intellectual growth. Most of you actually went, anyone go to school in this room at all? Anyone? Anyone? Yeah, yes. Be why? Because like culturally education's a value and, and your parents forced you to go. It's actually breaking the law not to send your kids to school. But emotional development is just not so natural. Our parents our parents, while they have, a, a big, they have a big influence on our lives, but emotional maturity doesn't seem to happen just naturally on its own. Myth two is a little harder to take. 
is that a Christian's ability to love those around them is qualitatively different than those outside the church. That's what we hope to be true, and it should be true. But the truth is, as many sociologists have, have found in studies of Christians and, and non-Christians, is, is most Christians' ability to love is not that different from people outside the church. We see this in similar divorce rates, uh, rates of sexual immorality, uh, parenting issues, greed, conflict, and the way we do anger. They're all very similar. In, in some of these core ways, we're really not that different. And the quality of our love doesn't seem to be that much better. I mean, things can look so wonderful on, on Sunday morning, but they don't necessarily look so pretty underneath the surface and in our homes, in our marriages, in our families. And no one in this room, I think, would argue that, that a spiritually mature Christian is somebody who loves well. I mean, like the Paul, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 13 on that passage on love, if I don't have love, I have nothing. Right? I'm, I'm bankrupt without love, he says. But the problem is, is very few of us, if any, have learned practically how to do that, how to show love. How do I really love well in life? Like being slow to speak and, and quick to hear. How to be slow to become angry while not sinning. How do I speak the truth in love? How do I, how do, I do these things? And, and you know what, folks? These are things that every generation, every culture is going to kind of have to work out because Loving looks different in every season, and, and we're, we have to continue to wrestle with how do we love one another? How do we do these things? And here at Hillside, we consider this to be simply, folks, a, a core part of our discipleship. Our walk with Jesus is we need to learn how to grow into emotionally mature adults, people that know how not just to love God, but to love other people as well. Now, we handed out a page at the beginning, and I'm not great at handing out sermon notes, but I thought this was one you needed to see and maybe hold and you could reflect later and take a look at. But it's, it's a chart uh, comparing sort of our, our biological growth uh, to our emotional growth. And this might help give us a sense of where each of us are at as we think about growing into an emotionally mature adult. Think first of an infant, uh, a baby. If a baby feels a need, it can't speak at all, so what does it do? It cries or it whines. And a baby, think about it, the patience they have to have. They have to wait to figure out for the parents to figure out what's going on, right? And if the parents don't respond or are inattentive, the baby gets angry. It really can. Now, an adult who is emotionally... Is emotionally An adult who's an emotional infant is really not that different. They can communicate, but they still treat others as objects in order to meet their needs. An adult who's an emotional infant can act like a tyrant, and they win through intimidation. It's, it's very much one way as an adult, not, not a mutual kind of relationship. An adult who is a, an emotional infant really can't empathize with other people, and, and they're too wrapped up in themselves. Of course, it's no one in this room, so don't worry. Now, think of a child who is 5, 8, uh, 10 years old. They, they can communicate, but they're still dependent on others. And instead of saying, you know, I'm really sad because my friend didn't choose me for kickball, they come home and get really upset and throw a, a temper tantrum or something like that, right? They, they usually don't know how to express themselves clearly or communicate what's going on. They, a child will often act out their feelings of, of fear or pain or resentment rather than articulate them. They lack the skills to openly negotiate and discuss their getting their needs met. Children usually can't do it. They, they haven't got the skills yet. 
An adult who is an emotional uh, 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 child is still acting out resentment through some of those same behaviors, withdrawing or, or pouting or whining or clinging or lying or withholding or appeasing. They don't openly uh, and honestly express their needs because they're still functioning as an emotional child even though physically they're all grown up. Let's look at an adolescent, fun season of life. Adolescents generally rebel against parental authority, and they tend to define themselves in reaction to others. And they, they fear being treated as a child, and so their mantra is, don't tell me what to do, right? If you've got a teen, you know what it's like. They, they love you one day, and they hate you the next. Uh, they tend to be very uh, black and white, not a lot of gray. You're either in or you're out. And what happens when we're not growing into our own emotional adulthood as adults. We may be all growing up in our bodies, say, 20, 30, 40, 50, 80 years old, but, but we're still emotional adolescents where we can't really feel like we can give in without feeling controlled or resentful. Adolescents say, so yeah, I'm, I'm giving in right now, but you owe me because I'm keeping score. Their capacity for, for mutual concern is still missing. It's still basically one way. They're still self-absorbed. I'm, I'm into myself. They're defensive and threatened by criticism. You say something negative to me, I'm going to say three things negative back. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Now, now by God's grace, and, and as part of growing and maturing into Christ, we grow into emotionally mature adults. And when we're physically adults, we Lord willing, will become emotional adults. What does an emotionally mature adult look like? According to Pete Scazzaro, uh, an emotional adult is able to ask for what they need, what they want, and what they prefer. They can do it clearly and directly and respectfully and honestly. And with an emotional adult, it's not uh, win-lose, I win, you lose, you win, I lose. It's emotional adults want both to win. It's a desire for the relationship to win. And as an adult, emotional adult, you, you listen with some empathy. You, you look at the world and, and the situation, and you can see it from somebody else's perspective or point of view. A, an emotional uh, adult can risk saying something without, um, without having to, to change you or, or without the need to attack you. Um, and, and they're able to resolve conflict as an emotional adult maturely and negotiate situations instead of being like an infant or a child or an adolescent. And I can give you, and, and you can give me room to, to make mistakes and, and not be perfect, and that's okay. It's not the end of the world. That's an emotional adult. So look at that chart that's on your page and kind of ask the question, where am I in this? Because being a follower of Christ is realizing that emotional adulthood does not come naturally. It's, it's part of our learning to follow Jesus and being part of Jesus' family now and this integrating of loving God and loving others well. Now, this all to say, if we look at the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, we see the Samaritan as someone who is demonstrating healthy, emotional, adult love. Jesus gives the, the parable in response to this question, asked by someone who is, we're told, an expert in the law, a lawyer, probably an accomplished Bible student or pastor, priest, someone who's already got the, the right answers, and he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? And the response is, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered wisely. Absolutely. Love God, love, love people. That's kind of the, the whole Bible 
in a nutshell. And, and Jesus, uh, this, this guy uh, is made kind of uncomfortable by Jesus' response. And he says, well, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Could you uh, define this neighbor thing for me? And Jesus goes on to tell him this, this great parable. We've unpacked it uh, before, but let's have a quick review. The parable takes place on this road from Jerusalem down to Jericho. It's a, a long, meandering, um, stretch, barren stretch of desert highway, you might call it. And robbers would often be found hidden in caves waiting for unsuspecting victims. And the story goes that the man is going down this road and he gets mugged. They, they beat him up. They strip him of all his belongings and they leave him for dead. He's, he's there wounded and naked and bleeding and absolutely shamed. It's a nasty scene. Two people, we're told in verse 31, 32, pass by. A, a priest and a Levite. A Levite was a servant in the temple. Two folks who, who absolutely knew the Bible. In fact, they would have both had memorized the first five books, Genesis all the way to, to Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers. Thank you. They would have read, they would have read had those memorized. They, they, they preached sermons on loving. They, they knew all about it. Their whole lives were devoted to serving God. But when they see this man on the side of the road, their hearts are not moved at all. From what we can see, they're, they're able to, to walk right on by quite casually. In fact, they, they don't investigate the crisis. They don't call anyone for help. What are we seeing here? A, a clearly disconnected spirituality. They've somehow separated loving God and mature loving. They, they've placed loving God and loving others in kind of different camps. And Jesus, of course, wants to bring these two together. Now, Jesus doesn't uh, tell us why they pass him by, and, and when we think about it, there could be probably a thousand reasons. I mean, uh, maybe they were busy. I, I think busyness is the greatest enemy to spirituality. That, that probably is, is one, one reason. Maybe they were preoccupied. You know, they, they were thinking about the things they had to do, they, the sermon they were going to preach, or the people they were going to meet, the agenda they had when they arrived where they were going. Um, perhaps they were, they were overwhelmed by the need. They're like, we're not doctors. I don't know what to do. They felt helpless, perhaps. Um, or perhaps they were afraid. It's obviously a dangerous stretch of road, and actually stopping and helping might have been a costly venture. We don't know why, but the point is they pass by. Their hearts are not soft, and they are not moved. By comparison, you'll notice in, in verse 33, which is kind of really the figurative and an actual heart of the story that the good Samaritan comes by and it says he sees the man and takes pity. That's the key phrase in the, in the whole parable. It's, it's he takes pity. His heart is soft. It's not hard and it's moved towards the man and he does something to help him. Now, of course, uh, just an aside here that the, the real shock in Jesus' day of this parable was the fact that the man who was doing the helping was a Samaritan. I mean, you've probably heard this before, but according to to all Jews, Samaritans were going to hell. The Samaritans and the Jews tended to hate each other. Jews saw Samaritans as entirely inferior creatures, the lowest class of person. They hated them with passion. There was a common saying to, uh, of the Jews in Jesus' day that, that he who eats bread with a Samaritan is like they who eat the flesh of pigs. I mean, today we think, actually, we, we pat ourselves on the back with our love of bacon at this church, it seems like, anyway. But that was to a bacon-hating culture. That's how, how deep the conflict was between these two people groups. And yet Jesus tells this story, and I think it, he does it 
partially just to shake them and grab their attention to get them to the point of the story. But he makes the Samaritan a hero. Talk about a shock. But it says he sees the man and he takes pity or he takes compassion. Compassion, that's that's a good word. It's the same Greek word used throughout the New Testament to describe Jesus. Jesus sees a, a widow in a funeral procession with her dead son, and Jesus takes compassion on her. He feels compassion. It's a word that is used over and over to, to, to describe Jesus, and it's a, it's a strong, powerful word. It's associated with in the gut. It's, it's having a strong physical empathy. There's a bodily reaction. It's, it's, it's This guy is filled with compassion for this guy on the side of the road, and he actually doesn't just feel that. He actually does something about it. And Jesus fleshes out the story. Uh, It tells us the Samaritan stops. He performs first aid. He then puts him on a donkey to transport him, which would have meant that he was actually not riding. We're told he came riding on the donkey, and we find that he's actually not riding. Now he's he's actually costly, allowed the, the man to be on the donkey, and he takes him to an inn where he pays the fellow's way. And then at the end of the parable, Jesus asks the lawyer, and I think he asks all of us, who was the neighbor to this man? And and he answers, the one who had mercy. Jesus ends the parable by saying, go and do likewise. His point here and and the key of, of the passage, the key word here is do, do something. And the Samaritan did something out of a heart of compassion. It starts with the, the heart of a person who has mercy, and they let that mercy move them. Now, when I read this text, I, I have kind of two reactions to it. Um, one, first of all, I see a piece of me is like those two guys who passed the guy by. <laughs> I know that's in me. I know that that is, is a part of me. There's also a piece of me that, that wants to be like that good Samaritan. Do you, do, you, do you have that in your own sense when you read this story? You're like, I'd like to be like him. You know, I'd, I'd, I wish I could be like him. And, and, you know, I, when I think of it, I think not just uh, the strangers I meet on the street. The, 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 we we kind of typically think of the car that's pulled over and, and stopping and helping a stranger. But I, and, and maybe it's thinking of people that are far off in the world that are in crisis, uh, people as far away as Sage, for instance, that, that I want to be a good Samaritan to. But I also think of the people in my home, own home, <laughs> my wife and my kids. Um, I want to I show that kind of love to the people I work with and, and to the people that I, I'm rubbing shoulders with day by day by day. But you know, we, we need to remember before we take another step, we have to come to know that the only way we can li- live this text if we realize that we're the guy on the side of the road. We're, we're the, the beat up person, the, the one who's naked and shamed and half dead, and Jesus is our good Samaritan. The only hope you and I have that, that hope and mercy would flow out of you is that you recognize first that the person lying on the side of the road is you. And Jesus did not just stop and, and, and bandage you up and, and put oil on you. He actually came and, and died for you and, and saved you and picked you up. And, and he brought you to the inn and he put you together and he had mercy on you and he forgave you. And, and then he, he rose from the dead and he lifted you up and he made you his son. And he made you his daughter. And only if you experience his mercy do you even have a hope or a prayer of being able to give mercy to anybody else. Folks, Jesus is our good Samaritan who came from heaven to rescue us and to save us and to bring us to a place where we might have something to offer, something to give. Now, I want you to notice here as well that that this 
Good Samaritan, he actually loves maturely. He, he has a healthy mercy. Because, and we won't get into this uh, really, but there can also be a dysfunctional kind of mercy where we feel like we're supposed to rescue and save the whole world. I mean, sometimes I actually don't watch the news because I, I come away carrying a burden for everything everywhere. Uh, there, there, there are times to actually recognize that, that we don't have to care for everybody. You know, uh, we call that what? And when you do feel that way, it's called a Messiah complex. Only Jesus has that kind of uh, availability. But our good Samaritan demonstrates healthy mercy. He has boundaries and limits. He gets involved, but notice, he still continued on his journey. Um, he, he brings the guy to an inn. He doesn't bring him home to mom. <laughs> he brings him to an inn. Uh, he pays away, and he promises to come back and to, to pay more, but he doesn't commit himself financially to this guy for life. He doesn't do everything for the, this, this guy. He has this healthy mercy in responding to this person. He models what it means to, to have mercy and a healthy and mature love. So what does it mean for us to grow into emotionally healthy, mature adults? I want to give you two uh, basic keys or applications uh, for us to, to consider as we think about this. Um, but before I do, let me say this. Um, talking to somebody uh, recently in our small group, and they were saying, I'm really looking forward to, to going through this book, and I'm really looking forward to hearing these sermons, and, and, and the gist that they were giving was kind of like, when we're all done this, I, you know, I feel like I'm going to be fixed. <laughs> it's all going to be sorted for my life. I mean, if I could just, as soon as I've read the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book cover to cover, I'm going to have my life kind of balanced and sorted. And I don't, I don't know where that person was at, but this could be first steps for him. You know, a marathon doesn't start with us running 42K. It starts with you running a few steps. Uh, and, and that's about as far as I've gotten when it comes to running. It's just a few steps. Um, and then a few more. And it involves training. It's, not, it's a process. And we need to remember that for some... I just want to remind you that this might be a process that you're just beginning and working out. But, but knowing that God is working this out, he's already begun a good work in you to make us into that kind of person that's healthy and mature. Uh, so, um, two keys. First is this. Becoming aware of your family of origins, capacity for emotional connection. That's the first key. This, again, is all about going back in order to go forward because it would seem that there's a strong connection between our ability to love well as an adult to how emotionally secure the, the environment was when you were growing up. It's a question we can consider for our families. Uh, just how emotionally secure and healthy was my environment? My mom has been visiting for a few weeks and staying in our home, and, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've been peppering her with questions about her childhood, about her family of origin. I don't think she's loved it necessarily, but she's cooperated with me and answered some of my questions. One of the reasons I'm, I'm really curious is because her parents, uh, my grandmother died a few years before I was born. So I never got to meet my grandmother, and my grandfather died actually just a few years after I was born, and so I never got to know him uh, at, at all. So I didn't really have a sense of what, what it was it like growing up in their home. And so I asked her and, and got feedback. I asked her questions like, so what were your parents' marriage like? I mean, who was the more affectionate of the two? And, and what was, so I, I began asking those kind of questions, and I think she was finding it difficult. There was a, certainly a, some distance between those years and where she is today. And that may be where you feel today as you think about thinking back to your childhood. You're going, I, I 
can't remember way back when. But what about you? For example, this is a question that, that is on your page. Can you recall being comforted as a child after going through some kind of emotional distress? Can you imagine? So, just think back for a second here. And I'm not talking about getting the flu. I'm, I'm talking about maybe getting cut from the basketball team or being betrayed by your, your friend or your best friend moves away or something like that. Can you remember being comforted as a child after a time of emotional distress? Thinking of a question like that, answering that can help be a clue to what it was like emotionally in your household growing up. Our young years just shape our ability to connect and love emotionally with people as, ad- as adults. And the key here as we discover things is not to bury them or, or not to find blame. Uh, again, our parents and our caregivers usually did the very best that they could with, with the limits that they had from where they came from. But the key is to acknowledge what went wrong and, and uh, what didn't work so you can begin a journey of growth and health and change. And, and it may be painful to, to look back, but it can be so healthy. I, I was talking to another hillsider recently who, uh, they're, in, in the course of this study, they've been reflecting back on their childhood, and they remember an earthquake event that happened to them where, quite suddenly, their, one of their parents was killed in a car accident. Just gone one day like that. And, uh, and this friend is, is beginning to see, beginning to, to wrestle with how that event shaped his emotional connection with others and how, how it affected him and, and changed the way he relates. And, and, and this revelation, he, he was sharing this with me, and, and you know what I felt? I felt like I was on sacred, holy ground as he shared this. Because I felt like He's beginning to connect the dots between how he loves now and how he experienced love then and what he went through. I thought it was a powerful, powerful moment for this guy. The point is that what happens to us growing up into our childhood imprints us in a core way of how we emotionally connect or do not connect or relate to people. You must look at that honestly in order to be free from it, and, and it can be quite painful initially, but we've got to look at it. Um, some questions that can be quite revealing and can help us reflect on this are in your handout. But I mean, one that's not there is when you were growing up, were you taught to identify and express what was happening inside of you? Were you taught to express those things? That's a real key to to knowing yourself and and growing. Other questions. Growing up, did I learn to trust? Did I learn to respect other people? Did Did I learn how to wait and take turns? What were your feelings allowed growing up? Were you allowed to be the child, or were you expected to be a, a caregiver for your parents' feelings? Uh, did you learn kind of a balance between independence and dependence? Was there a, a proper balance between the two? Depending on how well we were walked through those things, it can mean we end up walking around with kind of these invisible barriers to loving others. And I, I'm suggesting a first step to emotional maturity and, and loving well is is kind of intentionally allowing ourselves to reflect on our, 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 our childhood and figure out what maybe happened there and watch for those things that have, have impacted our growing up. Our loving and, and, and relating patterns were, were often set very, very early. It's a, it's a big discipleship issue because Jesus came not just to save you, but he came to set you free. And as you grow into an emotional adult that, that God loves that loves God, you'll also be able to love others well, especially those in your most intimate relationships. That's 
That's uh, application point one. And again, remember, it's not for the point of blaming or navel-gazing. It's so, simply so we can kind of find a roadmap for growth and health and, and, and being strengthened in those areas. And secondly, I, I've got to take some practical steps of discipleship to grow into an emotionally mature adult. This is what following Jesus means. You, you see, while becoming a Christian doesn't automatically make you an emotionally mature adult, it does give you the grace and the courage and they power to, to break out of that prison and, and to learn to be an emotionally mature adult that loves well. So we've already said we can't go back and, and, unless we, uh, can't go forward unless we go back first. And there may be some of you that, that when you think about this, you're going, wow, I do not want to go back. It's like this big abyss, and I'm already feeling overwhelmed this morning. I, I, I didn't score very well. I'm a, maybe an emotional infant as far as I'm concerned or something like that. And, and a part of you might be saying, I just can't do it. But I want to say that the good news is this morning is that, yes, you can. It's by grace. How, how were you saved? It was by grace. It's a gift, a gift from God. Why are you here this morning? Grace. God's grace. You've already come from somewhere, and he's taking you somewhere else. And, and the work he has begun in you by grace, he will complete in you. Um. You may think you're so far from being an emotional adult, but you start slowly, and you start by doing some simple things. And, and quite honestly, we start by the same way we became Christians, was by grace, but it was also through repentance and faith. And repentance is literally turning and saying, I'm not going to go this way anymore. I'm, I'm going to turn and go a new way. And, and when I say repent, it says as we uncover those things, as we discover those things, those patterns that are unhealthy and not right, uh, we actually agree with Jesus that they're not right. We say, we want to live according to, to your family rules, Jesus. We want to go your way. That's, that's what we're called to. This is your spirituality having an impact on the, the deep iceberg of, of who you are and, and, and so that you're truly different in the ways you relate to people. I, I occasionally meet someone and they have a pattern of negative relating that is so out there and I even know they've been confronted by it, and they've said, this is the way I'm going to be. They've kind of put their foot down and say, I'm not going to change. And I want to I tell you, folks, that's, that's not a great, that's not the life-giving choice there. That's not the way to go. So growing into a, an emotional adult that loves well is going to take all the grace Jesus offers, and it's going to all the take all the courage that we can muster to face the things that we need to change and, we, and the ways we need to grow in, in order to love the people around us who need our love. Uh, we want to be this as a church. <laughs> Folks, this is kind of like, um, as my friend would say, this is like motherhood and apple pie, <laughs> learning to love well. We know this. We want to walk this out as difficult as it may be. We want to grow and, and encourage each other to grow. That's one of the reasons we're challenging you to be part of a small group because, quite honestly, I, I have been challenged more in close relationships than in any other place. And, and, and we need people to be able to speak truth into our lives and to be able to encourage us and, and have safe places where we can say, this is what it was like for me. This is one of the reasons why I'm struggling here. This is why I can't love here. Um, a few weeks ago, we had a, a guest speaker, great line that he encouraged us as we were out in our, our world. He says, have minute-longer conversations. Do you remember that, some of you? He says, have minute-longer conversations. And some of you have been 
sharing testimonies of how effective that's been. Just as you meet somebody, trying to extend a conversation, just, just be a little bit more attentive, take that extra minute to, to relate to someone. Can I, what came to my mind this week was, how about a, a level deeper conversation? You know, you know, I've got a, a great friend who we meet quite often for coffee. And it was not too many months ago where I realized our conversations had got to the level of talking about cars and bills and sports. <laughs> and and uh, interestingly enough, in uh, it, it, I just was not satisfied with that level of conversation with this fellow. And it was just interesting how it was kind of a gift from God, but... Um, a few weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, we began taking it a little bit lower, a little bit deeper, and talking about where we're really going and, and doing in life. And it's been so encouraging, such a life-giving relationship. So can I encourage you to, in, if you're married, uh, how about a level deeper conversation? If you're single in, in your groups or in your, in your close friendships, how about a level deeper conversation where you just begin opening up about how things really are, your hopes and your dreams and your fears. Let's get access at those parts of us that make us who we are and that actually free us to love. I, I want to encourage you to consider that challenge, a, a, a level deeper conversation. Again, the, the thing, the alternative of not doing the hard work and taking the time to grow into a, an emotionally mature adult is that you will be chained to your past. You'll be a prisoner of it, so you can choose. But I want to tell you this morning that there is life on the other side. There is a, a promised land in Jesus. That's our inheritance for us in, in the cross. And, and the world desperately needs this from us. You know, we, we're to be the people on earth who love the best. Why? Because we've been loved the best. Let's, uh, would you bow your heads with me? And team, would you come forward to, to lead us in a song? Let's, would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we are so glad that Jesus came as our good Samaritan. Jesus, you came and you saw our, our brokenness and our weakness and our lostness and our nakedness and our shame, and, and you raised us from the pit. You, you drew us up off that roadside and you brought healing and health and wholeness to our, our souls, God, and you showered us with love and compassion, declaring us to be your sons and your daughters. What a great gift your love is, God. And Lord, this morning we hear your call too that we would go and do likewise. That we would have a, a healthy mercy and a, a healthy, mature love that would flow out of us in the many different situations we encounter in our lives. We ask that our love for you and, and our love for people will truly be joined. That, that our maturing in you and our, our maturing in love would be integrated and would grow as we both reflect on our past and as we repent where we need to from emotional patterns that are childlike or, or adolescent-like, continue to shape us into people who would honor you, that our lives would be filled with a beautifully sweet smell of your love as a gift and a blessing to the world around us, we pray. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I choose to live.